0: you're listening to leveling up where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business it's time to power up your skills through life
1: gamification with your host eric sue so nathan for those that don't know you who are you and why should people listen to you
0: yeah so i am a software designer turned content creator turned software founder so Got my start early on in web design, then brought that into designing iOS apps. So I got to design an app for the iPad the day the iPad was released, which was tons of fun. Uh, Pulled that into um, creating content. So I wrote an ebook about that, did really well. That got me into the creator space. And then eventually started ConvertKit, which is uh, uh, email marketing for creators. And so, yeah, today, I guess for some quick bragging numbers, we send. Two and a half billion emails every month so i send more emails than all my friends combined mm-hmm. uh and then uh we're about 40 million in revenue 43 right now and have a team of 80 and so we run the email list for basically all the biggest creators uh especially in the author and podcasting space so whether that's uh james clear or huberman or tim ferris or susan kane brian holiday all of them use convertkit
1: yeah my, my podcast co-host uses your your um convert ConvertKit as well. Yeah, yeah. He's, you, he's been with us for a long time. I think yeah. probably since twenty sixteen. Maybe he's got a good chunk of emails on your. Oh yeah, on your platform. Yeah. Um. So you, last year, twenty twenty three, you guys did forty one or so. Oh, uh, we're at a forty. Uh, run rate. Run rate. Got yeah. it. Got it. And yeah, this year, what's the goal? Lower. Uh, the goal is to get to sixty five. Got it. Wow. Okay. I was looking at your um your annual review. The goal on there was fifty three. So
0: sixty five. Why the re- revision? Uh. I guess I think about it in two different ways. Fifty three is the the actual like probably what we're setting internal targets on, uh-huh. um, and then sixty five is like there's a couple things that if they hit are that going it. to like um, fifty three is the is the reasonable like yeah this is what you should set goals and targets around. Sixty five is my. Got it. internal milestone.
1: Got it. Love it. Um, so a couple of things I'm going to jump around here. We're at a founder's retreat right now. You actually flew in and I think that's fascinating because that's one of the things it seems like you're excited about right now. Um, so tell us a story about how, like really I'm interested from an entrepreneur standpoint, like what got you into it and what have you learned in life and business as it ties to flying?
0: Yeah. About getting a pilot's license. Um, so I grew up in Idaho and there's a lot of backcountry. Flying and uh, actually got an opportunity. There's a group called Mission Aviation Fellowship that flies small planes all over the world. So like after the earthquake in Haiti, you know, uh, they're some of the first to get like logistics set up and all of that because turns out having planes and helicopters is really good for for that. So their world headquarters is in Boise, uh, which is kind of fun because they train on all these backcountry airstrips. And so in usually in 2008, uh, I got to go with them. Uh, some friends who are flight instructors there. Um, like flying around Lesotho in South Africa, you know, and all these crazy backcountry strips where they like put it on a hillside so they can land mm. uphill in a shorter distance and yeah. then take off downhill in a shorter distance. Um, and so I was just—I've always thought flying is, is super cool. And so, uh, yeah, this last year I pulled the trigger on like starting training and um, don't quite have my license yet. Yeah. Uh, I'm—I've met all the requirements, but there's a wait with the FAA to to take the test. So hopefully right. another couple of weeks.
1: Got it. Um. What what does it feel like when you're up in the the air? Like, does it feel like really meditative? Like, what are you what's well, think going at, on there?
0: At first, you know, you're like running through, you know, systems and checklists, right? And so it's very very process driven, which I think is interesting. As an entrepreneur, you can end up being either very creative, like, oh, I just work on whatever inspires me and you know, all of this, or you're like, here are the exact processes. And so I think flying has been interesting of like really refining the systems and processes and checklists. So that then you can be like, Oh, I want to go anywhere. So I think right when you first, you know, when I go taxi down the runway, and take off and everything, it's like hundred percent, the exact same process. Every time the exact checklist, But there's usually a moment that hits as you like exit the airport traffic pattern and go flying where you're like, wait a second, I'm 3000 feet in the air yeah. going 150 miles an hour, yeah. in a, like in a plane by myself. That I'm yeah. flying, like, you feel a little naked almost maybe no, naked but, it's not the right word. No, but, I think it's just exhilarating yeah. where you're like, wait a second, I can do this. And you're like, it was like, uh, I did it the other day or I guess a month ago I needed to meet a certain number of solo cross-country flight hours. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I did the flight that I planned. I was like, oh, I need a little more time. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna fall, fly up this way and like follow this river, Yeah, you know, and, uh, like flying along the Idaho, Oregon border. And then you're yeah. like, oh, let me go over here and things that would take hours to drive you like fly that distance in 20 minutes, Yeah, you know, and you're like,
1: oh, let me go up and over these mountains. So do you, okay. Like you're flying for hours. Like, where
0: do you pee? uh so my plane is small my uh for anyone who knows planes i'm a cirrus um and uh so you would you would need to land to go to the bathroom it's basically the size of a of a small car okay it's two seats up front and three seats in the back
1: so you're like peeing before and then you're flying for like maybe an hour or two three hours maybe yeah
0: yeah the longest flight i've ever done is i did santa monica to boise Mm -hmm. um which took three and a half hours okay and that's like 650 700 miles okay is the goal for you to be able to just fly your family anywhere eventually is that the move yeah yep and then uh it can also be pretty efficient for work yeah um but so part of it's just the love of it like i think it's really important to have a goal outside of work Mm -hmm. you know like oh we have our revenue goals and we're trying to you know i'm trying to bring this conversion rate from this to that and it's like okay but what are you doing outside of work right and so i always like having um you know, a physical goal of some kind that I'm working on, whether it's like learning to play volleyball better or something right. like that, um, or like a 5k time and then having something that's like much more intellectual as a pursuit. And so, uh, I think flying will be that for. It for sounds
1: that. like it brings you. So you really refine your systems and your processes. You're going through a right? Cause you have to, or else you're going to get in trouble. Right. Yep. And then there's a huge element of focus too.
0: Oh yeah. I like things that you can't think about something else. Where if I'm playing a, vo- a volleyball game, I'm not thinking at all about like the customer that we won or lost or whatever, you know, like you're totally in that. And flying is the same thing where you are 100% focused on the activity that you're doing. Um, and I think that's really important Got to have happen. those things. Last bit on this, I, so, so how much
1: does it cost you? How many hours do you have to put in to get your license?
0: probably the minimum with the faa is you need at least 40 hours most people don't do it in that they like 60 to 80 is much more common um i'd budget about 20 grand for some actual numbers with my plane uh i spend about a hundred thousand dollars a year because it's a million dollar plane and uh, so that includes the finance cost the insurance like as a low-time pilot the insurance is super expensive you know instructors fuel everything um is your goal to
1: eventually get like your own gulfstream and fly it yourself (laughs)
0: not that level of plane that's a level like a jet requires another level of training um i think probably a bigger turboprop uh there's some that are like pressurized can fly to a higher altitude fly faster um uh, but i do love private aviation and but there's a point where if you get a bigger plane just hire pilots right you know i have a couple friends who have like a uh, citation Mustang or something like that and maybe have their, their license, but they always fly with, with a professional pilot. Yeah. Um, at that point, safety. I mean, you're spending like millions a year. So. Yeah. And, and actually the pilot ends up being a relatively uh, inexpensive part of that compared to it. Um, the other thing is people think like, Oh, I'm going to go to these business meetings and then I'm going to go, you know, jump in the plane and fly home. And there's a lot of thought that goes into every cross country flight and then a lot of focus. And so I noticed this when flying back, we did the podcast tour and I had my instructor bring my plane down uh, to LA and we flew out of Santa Monica. Um, and I was thinking about that. Like I was in a meeting, you know, right up until I went to the airport as normal. Like I packed these things totally full. And I was thinking about like, Oh, if I didn't have another pilot with me, like I would need to really stop fully transitioned into flying and then think about like planning the flight and you're looking at the weather where are you gonna re- encounter icing any of those things and so like because it's an entirely different mindset context switching is yeah. difficult, yeah and it, it just requires like real thought to do that so I think that probably what, what I'll keep doing is, even as I have my license and use you know this plane I have now or another plane for work is use a professional pilot as well because that added safety and then and then also you could do something where you could, like, roll up to the airport and they could have the plane ready to go, yeah. and you could get more of that efficiency.
1: So, are you paying that pilot like a day rate or something? How does that work?
0: Yeah. So basically, um, the generally the day rate for a Cirrus is about eight hundred bucks a day. Okay, that's um, not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For your sanity and your safety, it's worth oh, yeah. it. Yeah. So, and then they can also teach and instruct, right? There's always so much more to learn, mm-hmm. and so there's everything that I know how to do. Like I will do that, that get us all going. Here's my flight plan, yeah. and they'll say like, "That's awesome." Hey, I would tweak this one thing. You'd be totally safe with what you're doing, yeah. But here's another level, yeah. Or like the next thing is getting your instrument rating, and yeah. so you know, as uh, I can't do instrument approaches now because I don't yeah. have that rating, yeah. But they can, and they can, like they can start teaching me towards yeah. that next thing. So it combines like the travel of getting somewhere with you know, learning the next skill. Got it. And how long do you think, how many lessons do
1: you think it took you to pick it up? Like, I think for tennis for me, it took like 20 to like start to like get the rhythm. Like,
0: a good question? I flew a lot last year. I mean, I also switched from a basic training plane to like, to a high performance uh, plane and that, that took a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I flew a hundred hours last year. So, you know, that's 50, 55, 50 to 60 flights. Yeah. Um, and you got comfortable way before then. But but yeah, it, it takes quite a bit. It's also interesting. There's some things I feel like I'm a total natural at. Mm-hmm. And that was not necessarily one of them where I was uh, like, okay, this, yeah. like to figure out how to like land the plane super smoothly yeah. every time. Put this uh, machine
1: into the air. You, by the way, let me ask you this. So like, do you think the flight simula- simulations that you did were equal to like real life? Do they feel the same or not really? What do you mean on simulation so i I just like I remember playing video games growing up like there's the ones where you like sit in a plane and like you know fly around and it moves around right um did you sit in like a flight simulator oh, thing? Yeah,
0: um I didn't for this training okay you know other than like playing similar games as a kid yeah uh there's lots of times you know there's lots of simulators that are available that are like full motion yeah and it can be a lot cheaper to train in that um you can also like recreate the same scenario a bunch of times and without the delay. Uh, so I think that's good, but there's nothing that changes like getting in a, you know, a high performance plane. And you know, when you add the throttle, yeah. like you need to control the rudders, even to keep it on the runway. Yeah. Like you think, Oh, it wants to go straight by default. No, it doesn't actually doing it it wants you know, yeah, yeah. like, uh, yeah, you know, you have to add a huge amount of right rudder to just keep it going straight down the runway. And so I, I I think that's a lot different than a so, basic simulator. Yeah, makes sense. Again, you gotta
1: you gotta actually do it. Um, th- this actually ties in what you, you brought up the podcast tours that you were going on. Yep. So can you t- can you talk about the the podcast that you're doing right now and then why you decided to embark on this journey?
0: Yeah, so uh, back in I guess 2020, I wrote an essay called "The Billion Dollar Creator," and the the point of the essay is that most people, well, versus an audience, is the most like one of the most powerful things in the in the world. You know, the amount of leverage that you get from having an audience is just insane. Um, and so we get to people who are like, oh, I'm a content creator and I make a quarter million dollars a year. And now you and I would be like, yep, that makes sense. Yep. You know, yep. maybe 10 years ago, we'd be like, that's possible or 15 yep. years ago. But now yeah. we're like, naturally, why, why not? We, we each know more than 100 people personally mm-hmm. who yep. fit that criteria. But now there's this next level of people building an audience and saying like, wait a second, if I have all this attention, what's the highest ROI place I could point that. And so an example would be, uh, Mark Sisson. He's a, a, a blogger. He had a paleo recipe and like lifestyle blog called Mark's daily Apple. Uh, so in like 2013 to 2015, you know, he's growing this blog, gets to a hundred thousand email subscribers, which that was a very big list, uh, back then. And he's making one to $2 million a year combination of advertising, um, You know sponsorships, his own products, affiliate revenue—like pretty traditional uh, playbook. And what happened is, you know, people were saying like, "Hey, I love this recipe for the like the paleo diet-friendly salad dressing," but like, can I just buy it from you? Mm -hmm. You know, and so he ends up taking this this audience that he has, and goes out and he starts with an avocado oil mayonnaise, and then expands to other things, and he starts a company called Primal Kitchen. And you know, you think about. Like we do internet businesses, we often don't have to outlay a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. There's no like expiration inventory, dates. On, yeah. There's no inventory yeah. expiration dates yeah. on our product. You know, like a, a a physical products business, especially you know a food product is is hard. But with his audience, he's able to, to you know basically kickstart it and get significant reach early on, and then he's able to do things like you know, let's say he's trying to get distribution in Whole Foods. Then he can be talking to the buyers there and say like, hey, let's do this, and and they're like, oh, maybe it's a good product, maybe not. Like, we'll test it in one store, no problem. I'd love to test. Hey, by the way, which store? Right, and they're like, oh, we're gonna do it in the, this one store in Austin. He's like, cool, great. I'll check in in a couple of weeks and see how it goes. And then he goes privately to his email list, right, and says, you know, get me all the subscribers within 50 miles of this one location in Austin, and then he can email them they're like, guys, great news, primal kitchen products. They're now in this store on Whole Foods, we do me a huge favor and go there and buy it, mm. right? And so they do that, he sends out that email, maybe two emails, and then you can talk to the buyer a couple of weeks later and go, hey, by the way, uh, how'd that test go? And the, you know, the buyer is like, it went incredible. Like, you'll never believe this, but we sold out. Mark could be like, no, oh, no so way. So how, how did that, that's amazing. <laughs> people must love this, yeah. you know, and that's the power of an audience. Cause then yeah. they're like, hey, let's run it. We're gonna run it in these five stores. It's like, awesome. Yeah, let's see how it goes. By the way, uh, which stores, mm-hmm. you know, and you can go and do mm-hmm. that. And it's like, wow, people in in Boise love it just as much. Yeah, <laughs> You yeah. know, yeah. and it's like, well, yeah. Cause you sent an email to your audience to get them to do that. And so the short version of the story is Primal Kitchen sold after two years to Craft Foods for $200 million. Wow. And so if you think about like the value created from an audience, um, you know, if you're making one to $2 million a year selling digital products, all of that, then that is an amazing income off of an audience. You're, you know, making more than a doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, But then what Mark ended up doing by redirecting that audience's attention to something that had like long-term enterprise value. Then he basically made a hundred years worth of value in two years, and then the other side thing is he didn't pay ordinary income on it; he paid long-term capital gains, right. and so he kept twice as much. Yeah, you know. So about, I'm
1: assuming he 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 originally he was selling like um, you know digital products, courses, or yeah. ebooks, ads, things like that, yep. right? Um, and he was doing like one to two million, and then he probably got it to I don't know, call it 30, 40 or so, and then sold it for like five x.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know the specific revenue numbers. Yeah, but basically you watch that playbook over and over again. Of, you know if you look at the Kardashians uh, the you know at least a few years ago the wealthiest of the Kardashians was um, Kylie Jenner she was not the one who was the most famous you know everyone else was like a sponsored Instagram post for a million dollars that sort of thing but she was the first one of the family to say oh I'm going to create a brand right in Kylie cosmetics or maybe that was his mo- her mom. <laughs> yeah, it was probably all engineered yeah, behind yeah, the yeah, scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you, know, you look at that and you realize like, oh, the, the value comes from taking the audience and pointing it at a product yep. that, um, I mean, there's, there's really three three rules to it that I talk about. Um, the first is you gotta build more than a personal brand. right? Again and again, you see content creators get stuck on a personal brand and they have to build a product that's more than that. The second is you have to sell products rather than attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third is that you need to have a product that is either recurring, uh, like you know software, something like that, or a repeat purchase. And basically, when you look at all of these examples, all three of those are always true. And so I, just like telling the stories, I was realizing like most creators don't get this. Mm-hmm. They have the most valuable thing in the world, which yep. is attention. and they're pointing that attention at something that is great for short-term cash flow mm-hmm. but doesn't build enterprise value. It's, it's greater for the people that are sponsoring. Correct. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Just take Ryan Reynolds, for example. Yeah. He realizes, wait a second, you're paying me a million dollars to do a commercial. So this has to be worth more than a million dollars to you. Right? How much more? 1.2? 2 million? 4 million? I don't know. Let's find out. Right. And so he goes and buys into Aviation Gin and Mint Mobile and says like, all right, I'm gonna buy in in a huge stake and then I'm gonna, I'm now in charge of advertising. Yep. I now basically get paid an equity value for yeah. my commercials rather yeah. than, than cash. Aviation Gin exited for 600
1: million, Mint Mobile for 1.2 billion. You know, the funny story about that one is um, one of the Mint Mobile founders was in my EO form back in the day when I was an EO and um Ryan ended up having more equity than him.
0: I I believe (laughs) it. It's
1: it's crazy how that works out, but continue.
0: Yeah, but just looking at that, like you're seeing it over and over again, we can talk about celebrities, we can talk about individual bloggers like Mark Sisson, but the principles are the same, right? Like in building ConvertKit, that is my billion dollar creator playbook, right? Where I can sell digital products, courses, I know how to build that to a million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Right, but over the last 10 years, I've built ConvertKit to being worth over 300 million, because it's something that has long-term enterprise value. It's more than a personal brand. We're selling products rather than attention, and we have recurring revenue built in. Right, and so that's something that's you know yep. will last for decades.
1: Yeah, we talk a lot about this on the Marketing School podcast. It's just like I. I used to hate agencies as a business. I was like, it's not scalable, it's just a lot of people, blah, blah, blah. It's like every business is people, right? But it just makes sense naturally for, for both of us because we talk about marketing all the time that we just drive it to like a high LTV service in the back end, right? And you just hire amazing people that have been there, done that, and you scale it because some of the biggest companies in the world are services businesses.
0: Right. Yeah. I was the same way where I, I thought agencies were a terrible business. Yeah you know, and I would resist that for the longest time. I'm like, no, 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 we sell software. We yeah. don't do, yeah. you know, like yeah. From a high tech, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Silicon Valley guy. Yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. You know? And turns out agencies when run by the right people yeah. in the right way with the right lead gen can be amazing businesses. We did that, I have a, a newsletter growth agency with Sawhill Bloom mm. uh, called Paperboy that that we launched. We Hired a great operator um, and brought him in as a co founder, uh, Shane. And, you know, we basically realized, you know, we have this incredible deal flow for people who want to grow their newsletters. And I think we're 11 months in and we're at $750,000 a year run rate. You know, and it's just like, oh, and you have these amazing outcomes. People are saying, like, oh, you know, I took my newsletter growth from, you know, it was. like two percent monthly growth, and now it's ten percent monthly growth. Right, and it created this whole outcome for me. And I'm like, yeah.
1: this is good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to come back to that in a second. There's this whole like, you know, um, almost creator-led agencies, and then there's creator operators, and they're just pure creators, right? But then yep. w- one thing that you talked about was um, monetization for creators. So, what is the best way for creators to monetize in today's day and age? It depends on what your goals
0: are. Uh, I would say if the goal is short-term cash flow, which is a great goal because that enables so many things, then I think digital products are are still the absolute best way to go. Because you can have, you can end up with a, a really high revenue per subscriber, especially if you have a product ladder, You know, where maybe initially someone's buying an ebook from you or something, you're just getting in the habit of, hey, I made a purchase and that was really good. You know, I, I, I spent 30 bucks, and I felt like I got hundreds of dollars worth of value. Like, I should keep spending with this person. And then as you get into the courses, um, you know, now you can sell a course for 300 to $3,000. And the margins on that are just so, so good. Um, I think that's fantastic. People are doing really well with advertising right now, um, especially if you have a newsletter that's really engaged. Uh, if people, you know, if you have a more stale list, uh, people aren't that excited about your content, then advertising doesn't work as well. But the the hyper engaged lists, fast growing, um, do well. So those are probably the big ones. But I always encourage people once it, once you have cash flow figured out, if you think in this ways, I always think in terms of how do I like what's the highest ROI return on do? leverage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then you have to direct it towards a real business. That could be an agency. I would make sure it's an agency that has recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. None of this one-off project nonsense. Like I won't touch a business unless it's at least repeat purchases, but ideally recurring revenue. Um, you, know, you know, So an agency, a products company, um, uh, there's this woman named Susie Bullock, who she has a, a, a barbecue blog called Hey Grill Hey. Mm. And she got to the point about two million, two and a half million dollars a year in uh, revenue. Yeah, you know the, all the traditional stuff that you'd expect, right? Affiliate deals, sponsorships, her own products. But now she's launched her own line of barbecue sauces, and she's gotten distribution. She's following the exact same playbook that yeah. Mark uh, Sisson did. Yeah, and I'm like, there we go. That's a business that you know in right. five years she'll sell for a hundred million dollars. Yeah, and so I think that balance of short-term cash flow, and also building long-term equity. It means you don't have to do the startup grind of like, you know, eat ramen for five years. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. wait, I can live a great life off of my million dollar a year content business and, you know, grow this business at the same time that has real enterprise value. Yeah, you
1: can use it as a launch pad to build something that to your point has enterprise value. And uh, yesterday, before we started the the morning workout, we're just talking about how sure, you know, you raise V C like you can talk about that big exit, but why don't you just build something where you can have an exit every single year? Where you're doing 10, 20, 30 million in profit and then that's yep. your exit every single year, right? Most so. people won't
0: ever get a creator business to that level of profit. Mm-hmm. And so I think if Yeah, it's just not it's not common. So if someone is truly targeting, like, hey, I want to retire with twenty-five I want to retire young with twenty-five to fifty million dollars in the bank. It's going to have to come from um, building a product business in some kind and exiting it.
1: Yeah, and then just letting it compound over time. Yeah, and then you're there. Okay. There
0: are you would know better than I would, like on the agency side, right? Mm-hmm. There's obviously a lot of agencies that do cash flow. Yeah. You know, five million, twenty-five million dollars a year, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but. That's probably more the exception than the rule. Yeah. Those
1: are few and far between, but yeah. they do exist. Yeah, <laughs> they do exist. Yeah. Um, okay. So what do you, th- I, I mean, you know, there's a lot more people, especially in the last 12 months, they've been talking about, Hey, like you should all create a newsletter. You should all create a newsletter, right? We talked about how, yeah, it's probably not you, sure. Short term, you can try to monetize through, through ads or sponsorships, yep. whatever it is exactly digital products. Um, where do you think newsletters are going in the near future? Cause you got convert you see a lot of data yep. and maybe you can share some interesting data too.
0: Yeah, so I mean, just the the whole industry is accelerating a lot right now. We're recording this in February 2024, and so we just closed out January, and that was our best month ever for new like verified creators who set up accounts. We had 32,000 mm-hmm. new accounts sign up, and so that that beats out you know the crazy spike uh, when the COVID lockdown started, right? Yeah. You know all of those things, and I think it's not just us. Like the whole industry is taking off like crazy. Because people just understand that it, whatever you want in life, an audience is going to have to get there, Help you get there. Like we used the pilot example earlier, and uh, if you want to become an airline pilot, which right now an airline pilot is something that pays very very well because there's this big shortage. How much? Uh, say, like originally starting as an airline pilot used to be like forty grand a year for like bare bones. Yeah. Now that's ninety five thousand. Uh huh. And like people who cap out as an airline pilot, you know, are making 400 to 700,000 a year.
1: And that's if you're like, what, what That's level? if
0: you're like a, a captain of a wide body plane for Delta, right? You might okay. make 700,000.
1: an A350 a or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah
0: any, any of those um, big planes. So there's this big rush of people getting to the airlines, but, but there's a crazy thing with it that most people think you can't hack at all. And that's that you need 1,500 hours mm-hmm. flying an airplane, to even be eligible yeah. to uh, get what's called an airline transport pilot yeah. rating. So it's even to, to get that bottom of the barrel job at like the little dinky regional airline yeah. uh, flying the smallest commercial yeah. airliner, you need 1,500 hours.
1: Aren't they changing that with the, I, I read some stuff around, hey, like DEI around it and then like
0: they're kind of adjusting the requirements. They might, but it's still going to stay super, yeah. super high. So most people get through that time by, uh, instructing, right? Like most flight instructors are trying to go from say three to 400 hours that they picked up to get their commercial ratings and their flight instructor ratings and all of that up to 1500. And that might take them three years. So this friend named Trent who decided at 53 years old that he wanted to be an airline pilot, he'd, he'd uh, built an e-commerce business, had a good exit on that, built an agency, uh, cash flowed that for a while and he's like, you know, I've always wanted to do this. I'm going to go for it. But there's a mandatory retirement age as a pilot of 65 years old. Okay. So he's like, as he's thinking about it, like there's an actual window that's shrinking. 53, yeah. you know, only got 12 years. And it takes minimum three and a half years from like, or three years from, for most people, I want to be a pilot to, I'm even eligible to get hired by an airline to get that 1500 hours. And so what he ended up doing is deciding that he's gonna go to flight school and cram as much like he makes his full-time job crams as much as possible into 90 days. So he becomes all the way from, you know, uh, getting started flying to, uh, getting all of his like flight instructor ratings in 90 days, which is crazy. But if Mm -hmm. you focus on it and fly multiple times a day and study like crazy, you can absolutely do it. Um, and then now he's going out to instruct, but what he did differently is he started a, a YouTube channel around this. And so today, instead of like working for a flight school, getting paid 20 bucks an hour, while well, the flight school is making 70, you know, he now has a steady stream of all of yeah. his own clients. It's his own rates. Yeah, he sets yeah. his own rates. He's yeah. an independent contractor. He's got 20,000 subscribers on YouTube. Yeah, um, He has so many opportunities. He has way more students coming in than he could possibly take. Mm-hmm. So he's referring out to other flight schools and he paid like a $3,000 bonus every yeah. time he referred. Yeah. So he's making more money referring students to other flight schools that he actually makes from instructor. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And so he can fly away more than anyone else. He can it, like he's doing interviews with like the recruiter at SkyWest Airlines, right? A regional airline. Um he's in these conversations yeah. because of his audience. Yeah. And so the audience is just going to shortcut his path yeah. in a pretty insane way. And is his audience his
1: YouTube channel is it just like talking about his journey? to it's talking a pilot. about his
0: journey lessons learned. And then he teaches on it as yeah. well. He's like, okay, here's how to do an instrument approach. So, you yeah. know, here's how to use basically it's how to become a pilot, how to become a pilot. Yeah, yeah. And so he has, you know, 20,000, uh, you know, pilots or yeah. people who dream of being a pilot following him. And he has this niche carved out, right? Cause yeah. most people going this path are like 20 years old and all that. And here he is at 53. Yeah. have people are saying like, Oh, maybe I, yeah. I want to do that. Like, why not? Yeah. Um, And so the crazy thing that's going to happen is not only is having this audience going to shortcut his path to the airlines, like probably cut it in half, Mm -hmm. I think, and he'll make a bunch more money along the way. Yeah. Uh, but once he gets there, his audience is going to be worth way more than the airline job, Mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And so I think going back to what you're asking about newsletters, the reason that this, this surge is happening, you know, and it's, it's not a one-off surge, it's like building over the last 10 years, steadily. is that people are realizing that basically whatever I want in life is easier if I have an audience, because I'll make more money, I'll have way more opportunities, I'll have all these connections. And so as people will learn that, then more and more people go after it. And you mentioned
1: earlier, how do, how do people transition from personal brand to going, how do they go beyond that basically? Because a personal brand is something that's difficult to sell as well.
0: Yeah, um, let me think of uh, a few different examples on this. First, there's nothing wrong with building a personal brand. And actually, it's probably an easier way to start as a creator, especially if your interests are changing. Right, so when I started out, I was, my entire online audience was about design, specifically designing iOS applications. I haven't designed an iPhone app in many, many years, right? Like I evolved, then like I then became obsessed with uh, with marketing, really, and learning those skills, uh, and be- because I had built it all under Nathan Barry rather than iOS design, whatever, then basically my audience could just transition with me mm-hmm. as I went on other things. So I, I really recommend keeping the personal brand, um, or or like there's nothing wrong with starting it. Yeah, but know that if you. If you want to exit or build some of the enterprise value, you're going to have to do that. Sahil Bloom's is a good example where, mm-hmm. you know, sahilbloom.com, right? Yeah. It's very much a personal brand. People know his name. He's building up, you know, a massive email list for his book launch. Uh, he's doing very, very well with that. But what he has going on behind the scenes is that he's built up all of these creator focused agencies that are all independent. Mm. So he uses his personal brand which doesn't really have enterprise value in the same way. Um, and he's driving that attention to agencies like Paperboy. Uh, he has one that he's partnered with, um, Cody Sanchez and Sam par on called viral cuts. Right. And that's, you know, so he's just pointing all of that attention there and he could cash flow really well off those businesses. Uh, he said they're now at $10 million a year in run rate combined, um, in, I think the oldest one is 14 months old mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Um, and so basically, he can lo- like direct some of the attention from the personal brand to these other things. And I think that's probably the way to do it. Is start yeah. with the personal brand, and then once you've demonstrated that you can create really consistently, that you know how to build an audience, you know, and uh, you've got that like minimum cash flow. Maybe it's 100,000 a year. Maybe it's 250 a year. Yeah. Then you can start say, let's build up another business that has more. Enterprise value.
1: You know, I, I've been debating with other creators. So I, I did talk about this with Sahil on the podcast. And I was like, you know, my argument is a lot of these creator led agencies are going to go bust. And we, I think we need to see it play out for the next, I don't know, two, three years. Yep. And my reasoning for that is because if you're a Sahil or Ali Abdal or anybody, like you push it, there's going to be a huge influx. It's like a PR bump in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then you have the challenge of having to. Have really good service, correct? Right, and it's like how how well do you retain these people? So like, we won't know for a while. But um, so Hills like, yeah, you know, most of them are probably going to fail. Um, what's your take on it?
0: Well, I think it's important to realize that as a creator, you know, a creator, that agency, or or whatever else, right? If let's say we're selling a barbecue sauce, yeah. any of these products, you really only solve one problem by coming in as a creator with an audience, and that's customer acquisition cost, mm-hmm. right? It's a huge advantage right two two businesses equal yeah. in every way the one who has a lower cac is going to crush the other right but uh, let's say they're not equal in every way let's say the one with lower cac is actually terrible at like still delivering value yeah, 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 yeah. you know yeah, a year yeah. later yeah. right their supply chain's a disaster or whatever all the other business fundamentals are still the same mm-hmm. you really just have that one advantage of um great leads and and deal flow yeah and so I think if you end up in a situation where as creators, you could think that you're the most important thing. You're like, I have this audience and everything I touch turns to gold, you know?
1: Everyone thinks that in the beginning.
0: Everybody sure. thinks that. Yeah. And if you undervalue, you know, customer service fulfillment, yeah. the product, yeah. right? Yeah. Then you're gonna have these uh, these short-term spikes that that die out. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think many will fail just in the same way I think many creator product businesses mm-hmm. will fail. Uh, and it will all be for the same reason. Yep. And that is that they didn't actually get the fundamentals of the business sound exactly of, of customer service, the product you're delivering. Actually, and I think that's some of the brilliance of what Sahill's done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is his rule is like, uh, he will never start the business until he can find the operator who's going to run it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a bunch of his businesses, yeah, he's got Hunter Hammonds running you know, the actual operations, Hunter's done it a lot. In Paperboy, we we have uh, Shane. And, you know, there's all these things I'm watching Shane implement, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. You're like, you have done this a lot before. Yeah, You are at least as good at business operations and fulfillment as I am at attention and deal flow. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's a match made in
1: heaven. Got it. And, you know, let, let me ask you this. What percentage of the time do you spend creating content versus operating your business? Hmm. What's the breakdown? And I'll, I'll tell you where I'm going with this once you answer.
0: Yeah, and probably 90% business operations uh, and 10% content creation. Boom,
1: okay, so exactly. I, I. One thing we talk about on on Marketing School is, is the concept of creators versus creator-operators. And creator-operators, operators spend 80 to 90% of their time on the business, 10 to 20% time on yeah. content. For creators, it's it's completely reversed. Maybe it's like 95%. And so it's it's really, if whatever you put your time into, whatever you put your focus into, that's what's gr- that's what will grow. And um, I think if creators wanna win at the end of the day, and I don't know how you feel about this, but they're gonna have to understand business operations a little bit, otherwise they're gonna lose their shirt.
0: Yeah, and you have to build a team and flywheels around what you're doing. Like, yeah. you know, if you're trying to build a creator audience and like a substantial business behind it, you can't be like refreshing the stats on your YouTube video and be like, oh, what's the watch time like this? And you're like, no, no, no. You, you build a system once, you make sure you have the right people in place and all of that, mm-hmm. and then you have a weekly or a monthly metrics check-in, you know? And like, that's so different than most creators who are like, creating content based on what inspires the most in that moment, uh, you know, engaging nonstop in the replies or comments, you know, firing off a quick, like living on Twitter, for example. Right. You can't do any of that because none of this scales otherwise. Right. Right. And so that's actually probably an area that I've struggled is going down some of these creator avenues and doing it based off my own energy and momentum. Mm and like trying to start a couple things. Like um, one example would be building my following on Twitter. Uh, In 2022, I made that a big focus. I went from 30,000 followers to 100,000 in Mm -hmm. the year, which is the goal. And then in 2023, I really let that flywheel stall out. And I focused on the next thing without, you know, like I should have gone from 100,000 to 200,000 in 2023 and instead I went from 100 to 125 yeah, because as I focus on the next thing, I didn't have the right systems and operations in place that I should have.
1: Got it. I want to talk about fly in a second, but first I guess the, how did you go from 30 K to hundred K on Twitter in a year?
0: Yeah. I mean, a couple different things. Um, first deliberately write content. So figure out your schedule. Uh, my goal, uh, and this is really a lot coached by Sahil. Um, Cause he was just like, your content is really good and your follower account sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, oh, that's fine. He's like, no, there's this, Like, massive disparity between these two things, you Mm -hmm. know, and you should be offended by it, you know, Mm -hmm. that like you're putting out this level of content and no one's reading it. It's like, well, not no one. It's like, no one's reading it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so, a couple things, you know, first put out a new, for the first 12 weeks of the year, I wrote a new thread every single week. You know, what stories can I tell? Mm -hmm. reworked a bunch of my old blog posts. Um, So it's like one epic piece per week. One epic piece per week. And then a couple of shorter pieces. Um, Second thing is really focusing on that engagement, right? Like, I don't know if people don't want to talk about this publicly or what, or like engagement pod has a negative term. Yeah. But like, imagine you're in the Marvel universe, like, and you're all trying to like, solve some problem beat Thanos beat Thanos yeah, yeah, yeah. right like you don't want to do that solo yeah you know and so like pull together your squad of Avengers who mm-hmm. are all trying to do the same thing yeah and when you post on Twitter text that friend group you know and then everyone goes and writes a meaningful comment on it right and that is what the algorithm is looking for is is engagement it works on Twitter it works on LinkedIn etc yeah um, and you all grow together and so having that group is really, really important. And I think for a while I was like, no, it's just the quality of the content that wins. Yeah. And it's like, it's the quality of the content and the quality of the marketing. Whatever the game is. Whatever the yeah. game is, learn yeah. how to play it and play yeah. it well, Yeah. right? Um, you may not like my way of winning Settlers of Catan, but like, yeah. it works, <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Um, so that's the next thing. Uh, another thing is reposting content. I had this idea that, you know, everything should be original. And so the first hurdle I had to get over is like, you know, taking the essays I've written on, on my blog over the previous 10 years and rewriting them as threads. Mm. And the second one is like, wait a second, this is actually one that I learned from Nick Huber is uh, you can post the same thing, like the yeah. exact same thing over again. Yeah. And so what I ended up doing, um, Sahil showed me the spreadsheet and I've used it ever since. Basically all, all my best threads, how they perform, when they were last reposted and then a date suggesting yeah. when it should be next reposted. Yeah. Um, and I actually got to the point where I had 12 great threads that I was really, really proud of Yeah. actually probably ended up being 16. Yeah. I just reposted them again and again on the same schedule every four yeah. to six months. Do you also
1: repackage your best hits too uh-huh. like rewrite it slightly?
0: Yeah. You know, do, I'm trying to tell stories that only I can tell. Yeah. Right. So I'm not like four mental models for whatever, yeah. you know, or, like for a while, people yeah. would just scrape Wikipedia, find a weird story, re it as a thread, and that would yeah. work. My whole thing is like, I'm gonna tell the story of the time that Spotify offered to buy us and why yeah. we turned it down. Yeah. And, you know, Or like, yeah. here's ConvertKit's compensation model. Yeah. Right. No one can write that from Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, and so in that case, like I wrote one about you know how I use direct sales to grow ConvertKit from 2K in MRR to 100K in MRR uh, in a year. And at, when I repost that, I'll switch up the hook, yep. right? There's five different ways I could write that hook. Yep. Sometimes I will use a graph of the ridiculous hockey stick. Sometimes mm-hmm. I won't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we'll see what works. Yeah, so you
1: might delete sometimes every post with a new hook. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, Twitter's very unforgiving. I mean, they're forgiving, I should say. They're very forgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and sometimes people will be like, I feel like I've read this before. And it's like, yeah. well, if you can follow me, yeah. Yeah, but, but most people haven't. Yeah, and and other times people reply and it's like, oh man, I read this the last time that you posted, and it was good then, but this time it like really hit me. Yeah, and I'm actually implementing this change right. Yeah,
1: now. yeah, you catch people at different times. People need a reminder sometimes. It just people are busy, right? Yep. Um. So the Spotify deal. Um.
0: I guess. What, are you able to share what they offered and? Yeah, we didn't get all the way to you know, like a formal okay. offer, but we were talking the 200 million okay. uh, range.
1: So why did you turn down the Spotify $200 million offer? Yeah,
0: I've optimized for the journey over the destination. And I think a lot of um, the best entrepreneurs do that. What happens in traditional startups is people optimize for the destination and you have to put up with a lot right? Like building companies is often miserable. Um, I think as a whole, it's a wonderfully rewarding experience, but, um, let's say that we're like, okay, we're going to build this startup together and, uh, we're going to sell it in four years you know, and then we'll get our hundred million dollar exit. And you, and you and I are co-founders mm-hmm. say over time, we're like we grow to hate each other or like yeah. things yeah. that are super annoying, yeah. but like just gotta grit our teeth and we'll get through it because you know, we've got this exit coming.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You can't guarantee when that exit is coming. Right. Also like, let's say that four years turns into eight and you you know, you hate four years or eight years of your life, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you end up looking like that, the photo of Obama, yeah. like contrasted oh, between, yeah, yeah, yeah. with the day he goes into office and the day <laughs> he goes out and it's like <laughs> yeah. just the caption, like friends don't let friends become president, <laughs> you know, cause he just kind of looks <laughs> yeah. like he's, yeah. you know, he's had a rough end <laughs> Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's like optimizing for the destination where you'll put up with a lot, you know, that director of sales that is, really hard to work with, but like, ah, they're good at their job. You know, yeah. you put up with that. If you're optimizing for the journey instead, then you're like, look, no, I'm not, I'm not going to show up to work every day for a year and, and hate this. Right. You know, I want to make the changes and often those changes result in a, a better company. Yeah. What and are, so, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, so just thinking about like what means I can show up and, and do this and enjoy it for a long time. Uh, Dan Martell talks about how the biggest risk to every business is the founder burning out or losing interest, you know? And so like, you have to be selfish and optimize for what makes you wanna keep showing up, right? The MailChimp guys exited for $12 billion after working on the business for 21 years. And so the first rule of compounding is don't interrupt it prematurely, right? Right. And so I'm like, okay, I'm 11 years into this business. 10 what, more. <laughs> what has to be true for me to, to love working on this business mm-hmm. for another 10 years? Right. And so, yeah, I think like a two hundred million dollar exit would be remarkable. Um, but I just go and start another company. Yeah. You probably go back and do somewhat something similar. <laughs> I would. I have yeah. so many ideas for this company. Yeah, but I'm like, no. And the other thing is because I've optimized for the journey, I haven't like starved myself and my family along yeah. the way. Yeah. Right. Like we've taken good distributions. We've. Um, like retired our parents, you know, all of well, like, we live on a farm that I thoroughly enjoy. Like I spend plenty of time with my kids, yeah. you know, it's just, everyone wants to go black or white. And there's just a whole lot of yeah. like, really lovely gray in the yeah. middle.
1: It's whatever works for you at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you're pretty transparent about your, fin- I mean, literally your financials are available on bare metrics, right? So how, why be so transparent about your financials? What's the benefit?
0: Yeah, so back in, 2012, uh, I was reading Hacker News at the time, so news.ycombinator.com, and uh, these two posts came out about design ebooks that were released. There's two guys, Sasha Grief and Jared Drysdale,
1: mm.
0: and pu- they didn't know each other at all, pure chance. They both happened to release ebooks about design on the exact same day, and they both had posts on Hacker News about it. And it was kind of funny, like, oh, that's, that's different. They had very different pricing models, uh, Sasha had like his pre-launch pricing, and he said and it was a very short book. Uh, and he said, you know, for three dollars you can buy the ebook, or for six dollars you can get the ebook and the uh, like Photoshop lessons that came with it. And Jared, uh, his prices were he had twenty-nine dollars for the ebook. And I think they were both twenty-nine was going to thirty-nine, and the three and six was going to six and twelve, something like that. And that was interesting, people commented on it, uh, but Jason Cohen, the founder of WP Engine said, that's funny, both of you come on my blog and write guest posts explaining why your business is better, or like where you, well, why your model is better than the other person's. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they did, they both wrote these posts, and they included the numbers in it. And so Sasha made, I think it was $6,000 in the first 48 hours from, after launch. Uh, and Jared made $8,000. And so they're talking about which is better. But what stood out to me is here were two people who were just like me. They were designers, they had very small audiences. Like it felt super achievable and they had actual numbers. And I saw that and went, I could do that. It was very different from like around that time the Basecamp guys, Mm -hmm. uh, I think they'd released their ebook, Getting Real. And it was like how we made $400,000 self-publishing, you know, and it was like step one, have an audience of a hundred thousand (laughs) people. You know, it was like, (laughs) yeah. And they didn't actually say that, but that's how I I read it.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's like, that works for you, but there's nothing relatable about it for me. But Sasha and Jared, that was super relatable. And so I had this idea for an ebook and I realized like, Oh, I, I could make money off of this. And so six months later, I, uh, released my book, um, called, um, the app design handbook to an audience of just 800 people on a MailChimp email list. And I ended up making $12,000 in the first day. It made 20,000 by the end of the first week. And I realized like how impactful that was to read real numbers from real people that were relatable. Mm -hmm. And so basically I've been transparent about numbers ever since then. It's like one way to pay it forward. Um, same thing. Like when I was negotiating the salary for my first job, I had no idea what to do. I had no idea what a good salary was, and so having you know a family friend say, "Okay, here's what you should be asking for. Here's how you should do it." Right? Like those conversations about money are so important. Got it. Okay,
1: that makes a lot of sense. And let's move over to um, let's move over to the flywheels portion. So, what do you? What are creator flywheels like? And maybe it's it's helpful to define
0: flywheels in the first place. So a flywheel. Well, let me tell you about the first time I came across a flywheel. Actually, when we went, um, uh, that trip where I went flying in South Africa in Lesotho, it was the first time I encountered a flywheel. So it's 2008, I'm at an orphanage in Lesotho, and we're in the capital city of Maseru, and we drilled a well uh, there for the orphanage. And the electricity was not super consistent, so we didn't wanna put an electric pump on it, because you don't want it when the power goes out to no longer have water. Mm. And so if you think about a hand pump, or like a a non-electric pump on a well, it'd be like a hand pump with a a long handle sticking out, and uh, you know you'd be pumping it up and down. And there's a direct correlation between the effort that you put in and the uh, you know the impact, the results that that you get back. And as soon as you stop pumping, you immediately stop getting results. But the flip side is also true, where as soon as you start pumping, you pretty much get get results early. And that's not what we put on the swell instead we put this large metal wheel that sits up on top and uh, instead of this like linear up and down motion it has a circular continuous motion and because it's heavy it's really hard to get going like when when we started pumping my friend Luke and I like are on each side of it and there's a handle on it right And you're like leaning into it embracing and, and trying to um, to really pump it hard and it's slow to get going, but because of the continuous motion, it gets going faster and faster and faster. And so now there's a disconnect, right? We have leverage. There's a disconnect between the effort that we're putting in and the impact they're getting out. I always like to point out the leverage can, leverage is not good or bad. It just is, Yeah. you know? And so like, uh, some people are like, oh yeah, leverage is good. And it's like, well. It's just an amplifier. It's just an amplifier for whatever is happening, Yeah. right? And so. The same sort of mechanics that mean that we get great results right it's the weight of the wheel that is what what gives us this accelerating momentum but it's also also the weight of the wheel early that makes it so hard to get going and so with this flywheel once you really get it going then um, you can get some amazing results so I've defined three laws of a flywheel uh, as it applies to really to business Um, then the first is that the process like every step Flows smoothly into the next, right? We close that loop, and we're going around. Second is that it should get easier with every rotation, and then third, uh, it should produce more with every rotation. And so, if we want to reference Sahil Bloom, we talked about him him earlier, you know, bringing this from like a a, a metaphor in the physical world into the business world. He has this flywheel for growing his newsletter that just absolutely crushes. And it's because he's not jumping around doing the hand pump version where today he's like, I'm going to grow on, on Twitter today. And, you know, now I'm going to focus on Facebook ads and next, you know, all over the place. He just does the same things over and over Twitter. again. Twitter. Uh, well, Twitter is one part of it. But I guess to walk through the flywheel, he's got, you know, new subscribers is the, the main entry point in the flywheel. And then he drives those subscribers from uh, primarily Twitter, Instagram and, and LinkedIn. Right. And so those come in once they opt in to his newsletter, right? A lead magnet, you know, a guide to planning your year, right? Same tactics that have worked for the last 10 years. People are always like, what's the secret list growth today? I'm like, actually the same secret that it was 10 years ago. People always (laughs) want a good bribe. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. like lots of free value, lots more value that's in trade for an email address, right? Followed with lots more value on the, the newsletter. So once someone subscribes, then they go into... Uh, like the next step is our creator network. And that's where he's partnered with other creators. So on that subscription, it pops up and says, hey, um, thanks so much for subscribing. Why don't you also check out James Clear, Tim Ferriss, Ryan Holiday? Um, And they can say no thanks or they can opt in, right? It's actually, if anyone's been in marketing for a long time, it's co-registration, right? But it's it's very targeted co-registration. It's not like some random product tied to like a college essay admission thing, you know, or like in the old days, co-registration was very random. And now this is like as targeted as you can get. So that's an amplifier, right? Every one subscriber that comes in basically turns into 1.5 mm-hmm. because of the, the automated cross promo that happens there. Then the next step is uh, he sends his newsletter twice a week. And he has a, like a smaller flywheel in the production of the newsletter and how that works. But this is sort of the bigger level. So he sends the newsletter twice a week, sends out great content. That has sponsorships in it. Right, he has decided that the driver for his flywheel is sponsorship revenue, and so because um, he sends twice a week, that's more impressions, um, and those sponsors, you know, he makes a good amount of money from that, and then he takes all of that money, 100% of it, and dumps it into advertising to grow the newsletter, and he splits that between, you know, at Meta ads and then SparkLoop uh, paid recommendations, basically 50 50 between. That's a good you know. chunk for Sparkloop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Split it between those two sides, you know, between paying big tech and paying individual creators. Right. So if you go around the flywheel and apply those laws, like the, our last step there of uh, advertising is a loop closer because advertising drives new subscribers. So the more new subscribers you have, the more they get amplified through creator network the larger the list is for sponsorships which means the more money you can pour into advertising and around you go so a couple key things here first he has only one goal for his flywheel and i will argue with anyone that if you want a flywheel to spin fast you can only have one goal and most people are like "Ah, i got three goals right i'm trying to spend less time on this i'm trying to grow the audience i'm definitely trying to make more money and if sahil was doing that this it would spin slowly but he's like I only care about subscriber growth and it's like cool you can now dump every penny back into reinvestment Um, the next thing to notice is that it produces way more over time so an early rotation say if we take a cadence a monthly cadence to the flywheel an early rotation might kick off 5,000 subscribers right small newsletter small sponsorship dollars not that much to reinvest but now a year later after this flywheel has been running it's kicking off fifty to sixty thousand subscribers a month. Wow! Because he's making, you know, over fifty grand, sixty grand in a month in sponsorships. Reinvesting all of that yep. back in the organic growth is bigger. There's all of this, and and he's just stayed focused on running the same flywheel over and over again. People are like, "What about this crazy growth tactic?" He's like, "No, no, no." Can I fit it into my flywheel? No. All right, get it out of here. Um, and so he grew the newsletter from. Uh, we really started running this flywheel when he was about 100, 130,000 subscribers, and in fourteen months, he's at seven hundred thousand. Wow, that's a lot, um, and that's a very big audience. And he has that goal: one million subscribers by the time the book comes out, because he knows that then that will cast instant from there. bestseller, instant yeah. bestseller, and then like the number of opportunities that come up from there. Yeah. And then you end up like someone like James Clear is just because his book sells so insanely well. His newsletter grows like crazy, and because his newsletter is so big, his book sells so well. And, and for both these
1: guys, it's the other thing is their idea TAM, their total addressable market is huge, right? Because a top Correct, Habits yeah. is for everyone. Sahil is yeah. very uh, called personal growth, motivation. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, but you could implement this in, you know, like we could have uh, be teaching people how to do enterprise sales, right, or some other like. Small niche, and you could implement it on a smaller scale, and it will just
1: have you read there's like a really thin Jim Collins book on like it's just all about the because you know how he talks yeah, about turning flywheel. Flywheel. yeah, yeah, it's it yep. just shows you
0: pictures of all these different flywheels. Have you read that one? Yeah, so um, what he does first in Good to Great, and then also in his second one, of Turning the Flywheel, is he talks about flywheels at the highest level. Right? Like this is Amazon fly, Amazon's flywheel of how lower prices leads to more sales, which leads to economies of scale, which leads to lower prices and so on from there. Uh, and he's got, you know, probably eight to 10 examples of what I would consider like very high altitude flywheels. And I read that, you know, years ago and was intrigued by the idea. You know, there's all these notes from, that I have from like 2016, 2017. Okay, what's Convercus flywheel? How do we, you know, operate it better? And that was a helpful concept then, but I think he really missed, well no, I would say he talked about it at the right altitude for his audience. Uh, but what's missing from that entire conversation is like that flywheels can be implemented at every level. So if we use Sahil as an example again, the one I described is like his mid-altitude flywheel. You know, his 10,000 foot flywheel, I don't know. He is a, very, a, a bunch of very detailed niche flywheels, you know, probably one for uh, his Twitter growth specifically, there's another flywheel that's just all about how do you produce two great newsletters every week, right? You could have these very small scale flywheels. Then the mid grade one, which is grow the audience as big as possible. But then there's a much bigger flywheel, which is actually about growing the agencies, right? Because the audience is just a means to an end for other things. That's real so the real revenue. More, the more the audience grows, it kicks off in these key areas to the agencies, the agency scale, right? And he can, it's totally fine for Sahil to dump all of his newsletter revenue back into growth. He doesn't care about making any money from that, right? Because the actual money is made over here. And so that's what I'm trying to do now in the flywheels conversation as I'm like building all this curriculum and defining the three laws and all that and giving all of these examples, um, is to show people like, okay, flywheels can be implemented at every single level in your business. And then why I do, like with my team, I go in and I need to train someone else to do this. This is probably why I'm creating all the curriculum right. so that I don't have to be the one doing it, but I'll go to like our social media team and like look at what they're doing and then map out. Okay. All right. Now I have a good, like, explain it all to me. I understand what you're doing. Here's the, here's the hand pump version and then I just go into I use fig jam on my iPad and I sketch out like okay I don't know if this is the correct flywheel but here's a flywheel version of it that has this you know every step flows smoothly into the next it gets easier with time it produces more Um, and that's where you can get to the scale right we only have 80 people at convert you know we have a five hundred thousand dollars in annual revenue per employee yeah um, and I'm like, let's get that to a million. Like that can be so much higher. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be because of these, yeah. uh, these bugs.
1: Well, I mean, I think this is a good place for us to, this, this will be the final bit here, but, um, you have, uh, do you call the convert kit creator network now? What do you call it? Yep. Partner yep. network.
0: Well, I got to figure out some branding. Okay. Um, we have two different sides of it. So overall our creator network is at creatornetwork.com and that's just the idea of how do we network as many creators together as possible. So, yeah. And that'll be a whole bunch of features yeah. uh, underneath that. That's
1: not the SparkLoop acquisition, right? Yeah, so
0: underneath that, then we have two sides of it, which is free recommendations mm-hmm. uh, and then paid recommendations. And we acquired SparkLoop to power all of the paid recommendations.
1: Got it, so can we talk about the, uh, what are you more excited about, the creator network or the, the, the recommendations?
0: Uh, they're one and the same to me. Okay. It's basically how do you build network effects yeah. between creators, because like, email has never had, yeah. well, we were kind of talking about this last night, uh, emails never had network effects before. Yep. You know, And all of a sudden they're there in a huge way. But I think the earning potential for creators on the partner network yep. is just absolutely huge. Cause you get paid to recommend, yep. you know, your favorite food blog, Sahil Bloom, like all these people. Um, Cause they were out there spending all this money. Like they were paying all this money to Mark Zuckerberg. Now they can pay it to you as. Yeah, you I create. feel better about it too. And your
1: ARPU goes up too. So you're oh, good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it is, it is absolutely a win um, all around. And then the cool thing is we've taken a very open approach with it, and this is what the SparkLoop guys are so good at, um, and why we acquired them rather than building it ourselves is that they integrate with 18 different email providers. And so that means that the quality of the network, actually here's the flywheel, the quality of the network is way higher because of who's on there. So for example, uh, a lot of creators, have a pretty low revenue per subscriber, right? If you're new, you might be like, okay, I know how to make a dollar. I know that if I spend a dollar on a subscriber, I can make that money back. But if you look at sophisticated brands like Morning Brew, The Hustle, Motley Fool, they're like, I'll pay $6 for a subscriber because I know, know, I I know exactly how to make that money. It's always the case when you're being outbid on pay-per-click, you know, it's easy to say like, oh, this person's just burning VC money and so they're willing to pay all this and like, maybe, But most likely their back end is way better than yours. And so that's why they can pay $20 a lead and you can pay $3 a lead. Um, But those, you know, Morning Brew, Motley Fool, et cetera, those will, will, brands will never be on the same platform that me as a creator with 5,000 subscribers teaching product management or finance will be on, right? Using the finance example. One of them's on ConvertKit, Another is gonna be on sale through, right? Or some big enterprise platform. And so what happens with the Sparkle ecosystem is because it's so open, you can get the big brands on there um, because they can pay and like only pay for engaged subscribers and that's all automated. And then the big brands can charge more or, you know, are willing to pay more, which means that higher, higher quality creators are saying, oh, yeah. Do I want to choose on the network where I get paid a little bit or the one that I get paid more on, which then feeds back into, you're going to get higher quality brands because they're getting better and better leads. And so the flywheel bit is basically having really open network means that, um, like the two byproducts of that is that you have the highest quality network and then also the highest revenue, uh, per subscriber for the individual creator, which breeds more quality. So it's a very much a, a virtuous cycle or a flywheel.
1: Got it. What numbers can you share around the, uh, the Spark loop network right now, like what's interesting?
0: yeah, so one thing that we learned just as some data came out um over the last years we learned that that the Spark loop network is doing about ninety percent of all paid recommendations in the entire industry is done by Spark loop um, uh you know it's tens of millions of dollars paid out at this point um it's still very small compared to what it could be
1: mm-hmm. what do you think uh, it could
0: be? I think that the amount of money spent on the internet to get an engaged subscriber is billions of dollars and i think that if we can build the best system to do that like i believe that this part of our business will be bigger (laughs) than subscription revenue in five to seven years because if you think about if you go to butcherbox.com That homepage, you'd you'd think like, oh, they're trying to get me to uh, buy a product. It should look like a standard e-commerce page. It doesn't. It's all around getting an email address, right? So it's like, okay, if you care that much about getting an email address, well, how else could you do it? Well, why not? Why doesn't, if if we use uh, Susie Bullock, Hey, grill, hey, right? It's a barbecue blog, so why on her opt-in, you know, when it comes up, she could recommend another food blog that's uh, a friend of hers, And she could have ButcherBox right there. So now ButcherBox isn't doing like CPM uh, type ads in the newsletter. They could pay for an email address right there. That email address could drop into, you know, a five-day email series of like, here's the best grilling recipes for this summer. Here's, you know, um, five tips to show up your friends at the next barbecue or whatever else, right? That then in there, like more soft pitches, oh, and why don't you have a ButcherBox subscription? And so, I think that transition from creators like myself and Sawhill and others saying, Hey, I want to grow my email list and I'll do that and, and bridging it into, you know, an engaged subscriber into e-commerce. Like if you, we fully complete that, um, or like open up that world, yep. then there's hundreds of millions in ad, ad dollars. Got it. And that's your building. take. Um,
1: or you guys are taking like 10, 20%. We're taking 20%. Okay, got it, got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, the last thing, the last question I have for you is, a um, quote, I think I put, just picked this up from your blog,
0: but making money is a skill. What do you mm-hmm. mean by that? Yeah, so Jason Freed uh, first talked about this, where, and it had a huge impact on me. And that's that we think of things, I first thought of things, um, you know, many things in life as a skill, but making money is luck. You know, or it's like, oh, it, came down, it comes down to like what, um, career path you chose, you know, or something else. Like someone, one person decides to be a nurse, another person decides to be a lawyer, right? And you're locked into that. Whereas all of these other things in life are obviously skills, right? If you hand me a guitar right now, I'm like, oh, I don't have the skills to do that. If I sit down at the piano, I don't expect to be able to immediately play a concerto because I know that it's the combination of like a thousand little skills. And business is actually the same thing where we expect to be able to jump in and be like, you were able to build a business, so why can't I? And it's like, well, no, using your analogy, like you understand timing music theory, you know, like you've practiced for thousands and thousands of hours. And so if we can break down business in the same way. Then it's like, okay, the early skills we need to learn, how do we show up consistently? How do we, if we make a commitment to someone, how do we keep it? Right? those are like level one basic skills level two is like how do you form an LLC how do you invoice clients how do you follow up you know that kind of thing level three as you move up and I break this down in an essay called the ladders of wealth creation that's uh, a great post
1: by the way yeah,
0: yeah it's one one of those like that I've worked on for a long time and will eventually be a book but you know level three is you get into other things it's like maybe selling productized services okay how do I make a sale without having to talk to someone. Okay, now I need copywriting, I need landing page design, I need, you know, like there's a bunch of skills within that. Right, and you get into the next level of selling products, like, okay, how do I fulfill a product without talking to someone? They're all like little infinity stones. Yeah, and they're all these things and you stack them up. And the point that I make in the essay is that too many people are trying to jump from like bare bones level one to the top. You know, they're like, you know, I have an hourly job making money, and I think I'm going to start a SaaS company. Yeah. And you're like, please hey, don't go from the <laughs> yeah. bottom of ladder one to yeah. the top of ladder four in a single move because it's going to take you forever and it's going to be very demoralizing. But if you can jump up from like, you know, your own, out, from an hourly job to then like running a service based business to then productized services and then to products, you can have a pretty consistent. Step up in income yep. um, as you build those skills, and it might take you five years to build those skills. It might take you two years if you work at it like crazy. Same way, uh, I had this friend who, in high school, he was probably seventeen, decided to pick up playing the piano. And people would be like, Isaac, how long have you been playing the piano? Like, you're so good. And he'd say, Oh, uh, about nine months now. And like it, people are like you didn't do it like for the last six years, you know, or twelve years. Like your parents didn't make you do it since you were six years old. He's like, No, I just decided to pick it up. And they're like, how did you get that good in less than a year? I was like, well, he worked at it very deliberately for like an hour and a half every single day. And so his nine months was equal to someone else's 10 years. And the same is true in business. Like, how deliberately do you want to do this? Going back to Trent, uh, who wants to become an airline pilot, his 90 days of just, this is all I do. You know, I have an entire career of knowing how to study, how to show up, all of this, and like, I'm going to apply this. His 90 days was equal to most people's two and a half years right? because he chose to show up in that way and build those skills. But he had to learn the exact same skills as everyone else. I think everything
1: in life, we talked about this yesterday, it just comes down to pattern recognition and the people, you know, if you're not good at it, you just haven't recognized enough patterns yet, right? That's all it is at the end of the day. Um, But Nathan, this has been
0: great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah, so I have a podcast called The Billion Dollar Creator where I like to nerd out on all of this stuff. Um, Check that out on YouTube. And then, uh, yeah, NathanBerry.com. I have a newsletter where link to everything else that I do. All right. Amazing. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs.
1: That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.